You're listening to the Reconditioned Podcast, and you told me that you wanted answers about the COVID injection. So I sought out the very best and most knowledgeable person to give you those answers. Dr. Lawrence Pilevsky leaves no stone unturned in this extremely eye-opening episode. You do not want to miss it. Your personality creates your personal reality. Authentic power is when your personality comes to serve the energy of your soul. The truth is the body is one ecosystem. You can get to the root cause and everything goes away. Welcome to the Reconditioned Podcast, where I use my knowledge and expertise of over a decade in the wellness and transformation world to take a deep dive into what makes us thrive as humans. I'm Lauren Vaknin, leading wellness and transformation coach. And following my remission from the rheumatoid arthritis I'd had for 27 years that left me wheelchair bound by the age of 18, I created a unique coaching combination, conflating physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of self to create true long-lasting well-being in all senses of the word. This podcast is one of the many free resources I've created to help you achieve the same. Whether you're suffering from chronic illness, raising children in a world of conflicting information, you're an entrepreneur wanting to step into your purpose, or you simply want to feel empowered and motivated to become the best version of yourself, join me along with expert guests as we uncover the most actionable and tangible ways to recondition ourselves back to wellness. Well, have I got a corker for you today. I'm just going to preface this straight. Well, first of all, I need to say that there is something up with my mic. I'm not quite sure what it is. I apologize for the poor sound quality in this episode and this intro. I I don't know what it is. I'm sure I'll sort it out by the next one, but apologies for that. I hope it doesn't bother you too much. But the main preface is to really say that we went really deep here. Dr. Pilevsky is... I have been following his work for a very long time. He's one of the most knowledgeable people you could ever come across when it comes to the subject of vaccines. He is also extremely credible. I read out his whole bio and spoke about kind of why I read out such a long bio, because usually I do condense it. But if you guys are looking for, you know, extreme credibility in order to make you feel comfortable to heed his concerns or listen to what he's saying, then he certainly has that. Now, the, I guess, disclaimer here is that we do go deep and it's not all roses. If you have had the COVID injection and you don't want to hear anything bad about it, probably say, switch this off now, in all honesty. However, if you are a person who is open to learning and growing and healing and you want to prevent further injury and illness and potentially death, then do listen. But put yourself in that frame of mind and kind of heed my warning. Because, you know, he kind of paints a picture that everyone in this world that I am in agrees with. It's not just him, but it's the world that many of you won't have access to and won't have listened to or heard yourselves. So it will be fairly new. For some of you, it won't be. For some of you who live as I do, it might be difficult to listen to simply because loved ones have had this injection. However, if you are, are wanting to learn more about how this injection actually works, what it's doing to the body, and you'll understand when you start listening why we call it an injection, not a vaccine, because it's not in fact a vaccine. If you want to know more about all of it, then definitely give it a listen with an open mind and an open heart. We were supposed to talk about the childhood vaccinations as well, because while I had him, I was like, oh, and he's talked about every single vaccination. 
But we really went down the rabbit hole with the COVID vaccine. And so we kind of stuck there and all our time was taken up with that. So he is going to come on again and we are going to talk about the childhood vaccinations. But you know what? I think it's actually better that we dedicate an episode to that because so many of you are mums or wanting to be mums and want that information. And so it's it's important kind of to dedicate that and you come to it knowing that you're listening about that. So this one is purely about... COVID-19 and the COVID-19 injection. So just prefacing that for you. I will let you get on with it now. I would love to hear your thoughts. Like I said, we go down the rabbit hole, it's very deep. And I really would love to connect with you on this because it's controversial and it's difficult to listen to. And I'd love to support you guys through this and hear all your thoughts on it. So make sure to get in touch with me on Instagram. Once I've posted about this episode at Lauren Vacneen, all the information's in the show notes. And of course, if you enjoy the content, please leave a review. So, ladies and gentlemen, here is Dr. Lawrence Pelewski. Dr. Lawrence Pelewski is an NYS licensed paediatrician who utilizes a holistic approach to children's wellness and illness. Dr. Pelewski received his medical degree from the NYU School of Medicine in 1987, completed a three-year pediatric residency at the Mount Sinai Hospital in New York in 1990, and served as a pediatric fellow in the ambulatory care outpatient department at Bellevue Hospital in NYC from 1990 to 91. Since 1991, his clinical experience includes working in pediatric emergency and intensive care medicine, inpatient and outpatient pediatric medicine, neonatal intensive care medicine, newborn and delivery room medicine, and conventional, holistic, and integrative pediatric private practice. Dr. Pilevsky is a diplomat of the American Board of Integrative Holistic Medicine and past president of the American Holistic Medical Association. He received his pediatric board certification in 1990 and passed his pediatric board recertification exams in 97, 2004, and 2011. In his current pediatric practice, Dr. Pilevsky offers well-child examinations, consultations, and educational programs to families and practitioners in the areas of preventative and holistic health, childhood development, lifestyle changes, nutrition for adults, infants, and children, safe alternative treatments for common and difficult to treat acute and chronic pediatric and adult conditions, vaccination controversies, mindful parenting, and rethinking the medical paradigm. Additionally, he teaches holistic, integrative, pediatric and adolescent medicine to parents and medical and allied health professionals, both nationally and internationally, and is available for speaking engagements worldwide. So Dr. Pilevsky, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Lauren. Thanks for inviting me. Oh my goodness. It's such an honor to have you here. As you you know, I'm a huge fan of your work and very grateful for everything you do. It's interesting because I usually condense bios when I read out the biography, but I felt that it was kind of important to read your whole bio because when we talk about the kind of things you and I are going to speak about today, people seem to need to hear that there is that credibility there, which you very much have. And I felt that it was important. Everyone knows just how knowledgeable and experienced and how much credibility you really do have. So some impressive bio. Thank you. So we're going to get straight to it. But before we do, I always ask my guests the same question to kick off the show, which is what have you done so far today to support your wellness? Oh, wow. Great question. I had a 45 minute uh, training session with my trainer, circuit training, aerobics, weight training, legs, arms, shoulders, um, squats, shoulder presses, 
lateral raises, bicep curls, push-ups, deadlifts, brutally, brutally beaten by him. Wow. And and then uh, because I didn't have enough time to eat a full breakfast before our taping, I had a uh, protein smoothie, making sure to put some cinnamon in there to warm it up. And uh, here I am. And then after we're done, I'll make myself a nice breakfast. Wow. That sounds like some training session. Awesome. So I usually start by asking guests to kind of take us through how they got into all of this, et cetera, et cetera. But we've been through a lot of that on your bio. And, you know, as you know, I've, I've been following your work for a long time and I know that you have so much information to share. So I just want to kind of dive straight in so that we don't miss anything. So I'd like us to talk about COVID and the COVID injection, because we're going to call it an injection, not a vaccination, as well as childhood vaccinations. So, but let's start with COVID, because obviously that's what's on everyone's mind. I'm happy to let you kind of take that where you want to take it. I mean, just this week, obviously this is going to, this is being recorded a couple of months before it's going to be released, but this week the misinformation dozen, that's been kind of all over the media. And I feel like that's maybe something that we need to talk about in terms of the censorship. And I know that you're a fan of Dr. Tenpenny's work and Dr. Kelly Brogan, and they've really kind of been uh, hounded. Why do you think that's happening? And can we maybe take it from there? Let me start from this perspective. There are three defining principles from the conventional medical world. Vaccines are safe. Vaccine injury is rare. And unvaccinated children are responsible for harboring extra special germs and causing any and all outbreaks. And those are the mantras, those are the dogmas. And despite evidence to show very large holes in all three of those statements, to the point where there's very little truth in any of those three statements, there's very little opening in the minds and in the hearts of most of the, most of the people in the world to recognize the discrepancy. And so when you have people who are thinking and not swallowing without a gag reflex, when you have people who've had experience that those three statements may not be true, when you have people who know other people's experiences that those statements aren't true, and they start actually speaking up, and the authority says, go back down, it should raise some sense of alarm that something's wrong, unless you are okay with being obedient, subservient, and uh, swallowing whatever the authority says without a gag reflex. And so that's why we have the miss or the disinformation dozen, because anyone who actually approaches the state the papal ring, and says, wait a second, we have different information, or we have different experience. They're all shut down, and they're censored. And then you're not living in a world of science, you're living in a world of scientism. And you're not living in a world of freedom, you're living in a world of tyranny and censorship. And for a growing population, the tyranny and the censorship are completely okay. But for a growing population, the the tyranny and the censorship are not okay. And so 
The irony of all of this is that the reason we're having a problem is because there's a large gap between belief system and knowledge system. The belief system is that whatever is dumped into my brain, I accept. The knowledge system says, whatever I have researched, whatever I have experienced, whatever I have seen in other people's experiences may conflict with what you're dumping into my throat. And so there's a large gap and the ability to sort of bridge that gap is, is troublesome and difficult and lacking because there's such certainty in the place of the dogma, in the place of the belief system, uh, to the point where it almost seems like people are in mind control, that they're actually zombies just repeating the state's mantra, vilifying those who dare to question, throwing eggs and vitriol at those who dare to question calling them names, you're one of those, you're killing kids, you know, none of which has any validity or basis in fact, but it's really good theater. And it sells a lot of newspapers or online, uh, there's no more. There's a lot of likes. <laughs> right. Uh, online, uh, um, material. And so the, the misinformation or the disinformation doesn't is actually the truth. Or it's actually science. Because what science is, is question, debate, discuss, uh, being willing to deal with discrepancy. And the powers that be, those that are in mind control, those that are in dogma and full acceptance of the shoving down the throat without a gag reflex, they, they don't want to think. They don't want to accept that maybe what they think they know to be true may be wrong. What they've been told by their authorities may be wrong that they somehow weren't responsible for their own knowledge and then they weren't responsible for standing up and that they were responsible for hurting themselves or hurting others. You know, a couple of uh, weeks ago in the, in the early part of June, middle of June, I was sitting with a retired physician and <clears throat> He actually knows Dr. Fauci. Well, and they were residents together, or Fauci was his chief resident. And he said to me, I would believe anything Dr. Fauci says. There's just blind acceptance that almost. And you sat died. with this guy? I'm sorry? You sat with this guy and had a coffee I with did, him? I did. I <laughs> did. We had a great evening because I, I, I wasn't, you know, I don't fight. I don't fight. I try to have discussions and 
I try to ask questions and I try to raise concerns. And, you know, people look at me, they shake their head. You know, they don't know what always, they don't always know what to say because they see that I'm not fighting, but they also see that I might know what I'm talking about and that I'm asking interesting questions for which they have no answers. And it's often the case, Lauren, that when I ask a question or I raise a concern, it's almost as if I'm putting a wooden nickel in their slot machine because it, they can't register it because, you know, they've gotten so hunkered down in their belief system that raising this question, just it just doesn't compute because that they're not supposed to. It's, o- it's almost, uh, it's a shockwave through their system. Um, I thought, well, where's the discussion? You're, you're a clinician, you're a retired clinician. Where's the, where, where are you able to look at the discrepancies and the inconsistencies and the concerns that people are having? No, that's why I go back to the three statements. Vaccines are safe. Vaccine injury is rare and unvaccinated children are responsible for carrying germs that no vaccinated person could possibly carry. And therefore they are responsible for all outbreaks. And um, if we don't start chipping away at those religious statements, and if we don't start finding a way to introduce to the idea that not only are they uh, not true, but the opposite is more true. This season of Reconditioned is sponsored by Block Blue Light, the world's leading supplier of blue and artificial light blocking products, including blue light glasses and blue blocking lighting solutions. Blue light blocking products aim to alleviate digital eye strain, improve sleep, and optimize health through mitigating the harmful effects of artificial light from screens and modern lighting. For a 10% discount across the range, visit blockbluelight.co.uk and enter the code LAUREN10. Thank you to Block Blue Light. We're going to continue down the road of tyranny and swallowing without a gag reflex. And um, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it, you know, I have no idea where this all ends, but I'm watching complete blind ignorance. Um, and uh, it's sad. And uh you know, most of us who are in this work have gone through our own processes of how to deal with the ongoing um, material coming out from the media and the governments, countrywide, worldwide. And we go from anger to frustration, to disbelief, to shock, to sadness, to desperation, to uh, giving up. And, you know, I think ultimately, Lauren, um, you know, we're, we're going to need to do a lot of prayer and a lot of healing after all this is over because um, the, the, the side effects of what this injection is going to bring um, is, uh, is truly, truly a horror show because people have no idea what they're allowing themselves to be injected with because they can't even fathom that what is in that injection is in that injection. So let's go there then. What's in that injection and why is it dangerous? 
Well, it's interesting because you can't get a list of the ingredients. Mm -hmm. So we're just going on the darker research, you know, the, the things that we've been able to find uh, that the public doesn't know about, but scientists and insiders have been able to ascertain because of our own research. The package inserts are empty. This is an experimental intervention. Um, and the sad part, which is probably the most difficult piece for me to say, is this is not a vaccine. Um, when people hear the word vaccine, the first thing that comes to them is, oh, we're saved. Oh, we're gonna be protected. Oh, wow, they're helping us. They've got our back. We could breathe easy now. Uh, really? This is not a vaccine. And it's not in any way, shape, or form meant to protect anyone against any infection. Because um, the authority said so. And that's the most fascinating thing is that the very people who are telling you to get the shot actually told you, we don't know if this is going to protect you against this virus. We don't know if it's going to give you antibodies to this virus. We don't know if it's going to stop you from dying. We don't know if it's going to reduce any severe illness you get from SARS-CoV-2. We don't know if it's going to stop transmission of the virus. And those are the criteria by which we measure an injection as being a vaccine. And so they told you, we're giving you an injection. We have no idea if it will work as a vaccine, but we're telling you to take it. And we're telling you it is a vaccine at the same time. And so why are you not seeing that discrepancy? Plus, We have never, ever successfully used the technologies in these injections in vaccine manufacturing ever in history. So there is no history, no precedence that these technologies being used in these injections could have or will reduce the incidence of an infectious disease. None. So people have this blind faith. You know, they, they, they're, they're focused. I don't know what they're focused on. Maybe it's my authority is going to save me, or I'm going to get my life back, or things will be normal again, or I'll be able to go to school, or, you know, I'll be able to see my grandparents, or you know, I'll be able to socialize again, or I'll be able to go to the pub again. They see that, but they don't see that the injection that they're getting has no track record of working as a vaccine, or that any of the ingredients that are in the materials have ever been used in vaccines before, or that there's no safety profile of any of the ingredients that are in this injection, or that they've never been tested for injection in humans, or that they're known to cause infertility and cancer 
and autoimmune disease and death, etc. And so this isn't easy to, to miss. I mean, this information is very accessible. And somehow it's not, not to be looked at, not to be accepted, not to be even considered. I mean, if something so great to save our lives is being offered, why do we have to bribe people and coerce people and strong arm people to get it? So what, how, what I'd like to know and what I, I'm sure people at home are wondering is can can you talk us through what this technology is, why it's dangerous, and why it's not going to protect anyone from COVID? Okay. All right. So you want me to go the deep dive? Oh yeah, yeah. We go deep here. <laughs> okay. People so, want to know. You know, we want to give them. The, that's what this is for. This is a place for people to make decisions from a place of informed choice. And I think we need to have all the information. So. We are told that SARS-CoV-2 virus is the cause of COVID-19 symptoms. Now, I could open up a can of worms right here, Lauren, and say that SARS-CoV-2 virus is not the cause of COVID-19 symptoms. And I would be right, because it's never been shown to be the cause. We are just told that it's the cause. But once you start agreeing that SARS-CoV-2 virus is the cause of COVID-19 symptoms, then you start going down a rabbit hole. And so here's the rabbit hole. The spike protein is supposed to be the piece of the virus that causes the damage bringing you to get sick with COVID-19. So it gives you the neurological problems, the lung problems, the heart problems, the liver problems, the kidney problems, the menstruation problems, the blood clotting problems, the strokes, the heart attacks, the loss of state, taste, loss of smell, the, the cough, the hypoxia, the thromboses, gives you all of that. So that's what we're told, that the spike protein of the virus is giving you all of these symptoms. Now, SARS means severe acute respiratory syndrome. But that's not what people are getting sick from. This is not severe acute respiratory syndrome. This is spike protein is leading to blood disorder, blood clotting disorder, and all of the problems that occur because of blood clotting and blood disorders. But I thought this was a respiratory illness. No, it's not. So how do you go from a respiratory coronavirus that causes upper respiratory symptoms and pneumonia to now a virus that's causing blood clots, hypoxia, 
and all the manifestations in the body of disease states that happen from blood clotting and hypoxia, which has nothing to do with respiratory disease. And any of the doctors very early on, Lauren, who spoke up about that, they were censored. Say, shut up, don't talk about that. Like, well, wait a second, we're clinicians. And you're telling us this is a respiratory illness, but we're seeing this as a blood disorder illness and a hypoxia illness and lung damage based on hypoxia and clotting, not lung damage based on a respiratory illness. And so we just, the, the public just kept going. The doctors kept going, the scientists kept going, the media kept going, the government kept going, and we ignored all the discrepancies. So now we have this spike protein that's supposed to be part of the virus that's causing all of the damage in the body that gives you COVID-19 symptoms. All right. So then they take the genetic material of the spike protein and they synthetically change it. I'm gonna say that again. They take the spike protein that they isolate from the virus because they're telling you that in order to stop the virus, we're going to give you the ability to fight the spike protein so that it knocks out the virus. But what they're not telling you is that the spike protein is not specific to just uh, coronavirus. The genetic material of the spike protein actually is similar to dozens of tissues in the human body. And that's the problem, is that if you're going to produce a, a vaccine that's going to attack the spike protein, you better make sure that if your body attacks the genetic material of the spike protein, that you don't have other tissues in the body that are similar to the genetic material of the spike protein. Otherwise, you're going to cause autoimmune disease. But even though science shows that the genetic material of the spike protein is not specific to coronavirus, but is also similar to dozens of pieces of human tissue, making this injection the potential of a large autoimmune cat catastrophe, we just keep going. Because we're told that the spike protein is only part of the coronavirus. So they're gonna inject a technology that's new. They're gonna take a synthetic spike protein genetic material, because it's synthesized and man-made, and they're gonna make sure that your body has the ability to manufacture spike protein for the purposes of getting your body to manufacture antibodies against the spike protein. So that if the virus came along, your antibodies would attack the spike protein believed to be the piece of the virus that's gonna knock the virus out. But if you're giving the person an injection 
that allows the body to make spike protein, you're essentially giving the person COVID because they've already told you for the last year that it is the spike protein that's going to give you the symptoms of COVID and cause the brain, the heart, the blood, the liver, the lung, the male and female reproductive system, kidney damage. And so why would you allow yourself to be injected with a technology that first causes your body to make spike protein? But then you have authorities say, oh, but the messenger RNA that's going to make your body make spike protein turns off after a while. Now I'm looking under every rock, Lauren, to find the study that supports that. But there's no study that demonstrates what happens to the mRNA, the messenger RNA technology, that's gonna make the synthetic spike protein in your body once it's injected? Does it, keep does it keep going? Does it keep producing spike protein? Does it ever turn off? If it turns off, what mechanism turns it off? Even the developer of messenger RNA technology has said that science should have been done before it even went to animal studies before going to humans. And so you have these experts who are saying the messenger RNA turns off after a, a while without any science to back it up. But then it becomes law, it becomes yes. Messenger RNA turns off, so you're not gonna keep producing spike protein, even though there's no evidence. But here you are producing a protein that's going to cause the symptoms of COVID. And so you have all these people who are getting the shot who are coming down with the symptoms of COVID. And instead of them saying, wow, this is probably from the injection, they're saying now it's a new virus, which again is a way to distract people from recognizing that the shot is causing the symptoms of COVID because you're actually causing the body to make the very protein that's responsible in the real illness for giving us the real illness. And somehow that people are okay with that. They're okay with the technology that's going to cause the body to get sick. Yeah, they because I've heard people say, um, oh, I've heard the most ridiculous things like, Oh, it's okay if you feel ill, that means it's working. Or the, the craziest one I heard, because your mind either works one way or works another way. And it's just funny how people's perceptions work. Because I've heard people say, where say I've heard, I've seen this on, on Facebook, where people have gone, I've had um I've been vaccinated, but I still got COVID. So my interpretation of that would be, oh, that shows that this doesn't work then. Their interpretation was. Thank God I got the vaccine, because imagine how much worse it would have been. Right. And that worries that's me. That that's, that's It's kind of almost like a lack of critical thinking to such that, a great that's, degree. 
But that's the problem is that, again, we started from the perspective, this is a vaccine that's gonna protect us against the virus. When in fact, the injection isn't specific to any virus, right? Because when we go deeper, Lauren, we find out that the spike protein doesn't occur naturally in nature. It's not something real. It's only specific to this thing we're calling SARS-CoV-2 virus, but it's not a naturally occurring thing. And so the question then comes, well, what is it? And this is where, this is where we open that trap door because mm -hmm. it's a bioweapon. It's a man-made synthesized piece of material that was incorporated into maybe a coronavirus for the purposes of harm. You think, so, so you, that's your opinion because we've heard oh, this well, a lot no, and obviously. No, Dr. Fauci told us that's what it was because he's been involved in gain of function research on coronavirus. Gain of function research on coronavirus has been in the works for many years. What gain of function research means, and not just gain of function research on any virus, it was gain of function research on coronavirus. And what that means is you have a virus that you know is benign barely does anything, maybe a cold, maybe a cough. But you're going to do gain-of-function research on it. You're going to gain its function by doctoring it so that it becomes virulent, potent, or maybe even deadly. And so gain-of-function research was supported by Fauci with millions of dollars, but on coronavirus. And then all of a sudden, we have this coronavirus outbreak. Now, again, one would stop and say, no, you're a conspiracy theorist. Like, well, is it that difficult for you to fathom that people would be doing nefarious things? That there is something else going on here? Why would you want to do gain-of-function research on coronavirus, not adenovirus, not respiratory syncytial virus, not you know herpes virus. No, you're doing gain-of-function research on coronavirus, and then all of a sudden you're telling the world we have a coronavirus outbreak. And so we have this spike protein, which is man-made. And now they're injecting it into your body. Well, they're injecting the genetic material of this into your body. And they're making your body make it. And you're getting sick. And because we go back to vaccines are safe and vaccine injury is real, is, is, is not real, or vaccine injury is rare and unvaccinated people are responsible for harboring germs and causing outbreaks. And here we are.
So we can't fathom that this material that's being injected isn't safe, that injury is real because not only the genetic material of the spike protein is hurting us, but the other ingredients in there are very damaging to the body. And that now the unvaccinated are being vilified because they're the ones that are being told are the ones responsible for why everyone's getting sick. So we're deflecting away from the injection because nobody would actually touch it. Nobody would actually examine it to show that the technology is making people sick. And the last part of that is that if spike protein is continuously being manufactured because the messenger RNA, the technology that causes the body to just spit, spit out constant spike protein material, which is damaging, then you're going to keep spitting out antibodies against the spike protein genetic material. And we've already shown that the genetic material of the spike protein is very similar to dozens of human tissues. So you're producing an antibody against this genetic material of the spike protein, and now you're going to start recognizing any tissue in the body that's similar to or the same as the genetic material of the spike protein. You're going to start attacking your own body. And that's what we're seeing, right? But what do the authorities do when hundreds of thousands of people start dying and having adverse events in response to this injection? They ignore it. So in the United States, we have reported about 12,000 deaths from this injection. And we know that less than 1% of all reports are fully, fully uh, called in. So we're talking to over a million people who could potentially have died. And I know from speaking to doctors and nurses in the field, that people who have been dying within 24 to 48 hours or within days of having gotten the shot, they're not asking them if they've gotten the shot. They're not documenting that they got the shot. And they're not calling their death related to the shot. So who knows how many people have actually really died from the shot? And I know in Europe, it's much more. Do you think that's because of the AstraZeneca vaccine? Well, who knows? Right? We don't know what's in these shots. Mm. Um, there's such little information and there's such great faith that this is, you know, this is a savior. This is going to lead us to the promised land. And uh, if you read the science uh, from those people who understand what these shots contain. Uh, it's very grim. I mean, people who've gotten the shot are going to reduce their life expectancy um, because of what's been injected into their body. And so for the people... Yeah, but I mean, people actually really believe that if they get sick, it's like a badge of honor. But they don't understand that they've been poisoned because this has nothing to do with a virus. Because the spike protein is not specific to a coronavirus. 
it doesn't even exist in nature. And then the last thing I want to say about this before you ask me the next question, um, the Salk Institute, S-A-L-K in the United States, published a study showing that if they just took the spike protein without any virus attached to it, you will get COVID-19. So explain what that means for those who... What that means is that the piece of material that's making us sick is not a virus. The piece of material making us sick is a synthetic man-made spike protein. And it doesn't need a virus to do the damage that leads to the symptoms of COVID-19. So this is not about a virus at all, and it never has been, which is why I said if we, we start from the perspective that SARS-CoV-2 virus is not the cause of COVID-19, we're actually in the right place. But if we go to the place of SARS-CoV-2 virus is the cause of COVID-19, we're down a rabbit hole of lie after lie after lie after lie. Now. What's interesting is that people who have gotten the shot are showing signs of electrical poisoning. Showing signs of um, electromagnetic poisoning. So if you, you, you see nosebleeds, you see bleeding, you see clotting, you see headaches, you see miscarriages. many of which are also signs of electricity or electromagnetic poison. You see people reporting vertigo, tinnitus, ringing in the ear. You see people reporting tingling, electrical circuits throughout their bodies. This means that there's also a radioactive potentially material in the injection. And that's something that, you know, I, I'll probably get thrown off a cliff for having said that because, no, oh my God, that, they would never do that. Why would they do that? Well, why wouldn't they do that? This is not a vaccine. And again, you have to fathom that the agenda here is much different than just saving us from a virus. You know, if you look at if you look at material coming out of the World Economic Forum, they have graphs and graphs and graphs of of population estimates of how much the world's population is going to be reduced by 2025. Wow! And so, if you look at the material that's in the injection. And you look at the fact that people who have been exposed to those who've been injected, who've not gotten the injection, they're also getting sick. The women are also having miscarriages. People are also getting the symptoms of COVID. So there's something synchronistically happening or transmitting.
from those who've been injected to those who have not. And then you open up the literature and it shows you that there's evidence of self-spreading vaccines that are in the pipeline. And then when you open up the can of worms even further, you realize that self-spreading vaccines have been used and are meant to be used for depopulation of insect populations and animal populations. And then when you see the World Economic Forum with their forecasts for estimated populations all over the world, you realize that what is going on here? You see all these people dying and people are saying, nope, nobody's dying. Nobody's dying. In 1976, when the swine flu was incorporated in the United States and 53 people died, they stopped the program. But now you have potentially millions of people. And even if 12,000 is the real number. It's still 12,000 people. It's still 12,000 people. And what the authorities are saying is, Nope, nobody's dying. It's rare. And then you have all these people whose family members died who then went and got the shot after they watched their family member die. And so you, you have to wonder what kind of world we're living in where observation and experience don't even matter anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's this just sheer blind faith that you're getting injected to be saved when in fact you're getting injected to be killed. Um, and the materials that are in there are meant to maim you. Uh, we have fertility clinics in the United States where um, men and women go to you know, get their uh, sperm and their eggs harvested and they put them in the freezer and they get to look at them to see if they're working, if they're the sperm are swimming, if the eggs are alive. And then there are people who've gotten the shot who go back to the fertility clinic to do another harvest of sperm and eggs. The sperm and eggs are dead. Wow. And you're not hearing about it. Mm. But yet it's happening on the ground. We're hearing from physicians that they're seeing a huge rise in cancer in their patients who are getting shot. Huge increase in tumors. Even that quickly? Even that quickly. Well, it's been seven months. Mm. You know, we're in July, it's been since January. Um, so we're seeing, and, and yet you have other oncologists who are saying, nope, it's safe, you can give it. Right? There's no safety profile of this injection at all. None of the ingredients, not one of the ingredients has been tested for safety for injection. And it's all experimental. So you're participating in a grand experiment when in fact, many doctors around the world have established very, very specific protocols to help treat people who get COVID-19 successfully, Lauren. And all of that information is censored. Because we're going to give an injection 
that they tell you is not even going to stop you from getting the, the virus, even though it's not a virus, but let's play the game for a while. So why would they censor good clinical experience? Why would they censor real-time data where doctors and populations are showing you that they've successfully improved on these regimens of intervention? Why would you expel that information and push it aside? for an injection that actually they tell you from the very beginning, it's not gonna protect you against SARS-CoV-2 virus. And then when you dig deeper, you realize, well, no, it, it's not about a virus at all. And so we're in a, we're in a dark place here. And because you have more and more thinking critically, uh, addressing humans who are not buying the mind control, they're being called the misinformation when in fact they're just not being allowed to speak the truth because there's an agenda of information that's being pushed through. So this Delta variant is an attempt by the authorities to distract us from recognizing that the reason people are getting sick is because the injection is making them sick. But instead, we're supposed to believe that it's a virus that's doing it. This new virus, not the one that started, but now it's a new virus. Because again, vaccines are safe, even though this is not a vaccine. Vaccine injury is real, even though this is not a vaccine. And then the unvaccinated are the, the pariahs. And so what are people doing? They're vilifying those who've been unvaccinated. They're coercing them. They're berating them. They're isolating them, ostracizing them. You can't go to the store. You can't go to the cafe. You can't uh, go to the shop. You can't go on a plane. You can't, can't do anything. Why? This is not an injection that's supposed to protect you against the virus. But the sweeping information has been so profound that it's just already accepted hook, line, and sinker. We'll be back to the episode really soon, but first, a quick word from our sponsors. So regular listeners will know that I only affiliate with brands whose products I already use and trust. Integrity is one of my company's core values, and I feel really strongly about knowing that my listeners can be in full trust about any product I endorse. I personally contacted Block Blue Light UK after using their blue blocking glasses when I had to start working later into the evening. I began wearing the blue blockers because I was aware of what being exposed to the artificial blue light of my laptop would do to my circadian rhythm if I was working after dark, and especially because we spend so much time on them during the day. After using them for a few months, there was a noticeable difference in how quickly I was able to fall asleep after finishing work not that long before. During the lockdowns and homeschooling my son, I also got him a kid's pair, and he now wears them anytime he's at a screen, not just after dark. And I feel really strongly about how important it is for both us and our children. Now, if you've never heard of blue light blocking, and this is the first time you're hearing it, 
Studies have shown that artificial blue light from screens, devices, and all modern lighting are having detrimental effects on our health. Artificial blue light disrupts our sleep, interferes with our hormones, and causes digital eye strain, which can lead to long-term eye health issues. Since using the glasses myself, and by the way, they do amazing fit-over glasses that fit seamlessly over any glasses you might already have to wear, which has been priceless for me because I have to wear my glasses when I'm at screen, I've noticed better sleep quality and an improvement in the thyroid issues I was struggling to balance out fully since having my kids. Bonus! Since Block Blue Light's sponsorship for last season, hundreds of you have made a decision to improve your health and your sleep by ordering their products. And I'm only hearing positive things, which was exactly my intention for this collaboration. So to check out all of Block Blue Light's incredible health boosting products, including day and nighttime glasses, blue light blocking light bulbs, and 100% light blocking sleep masks to help you into a deeper sleep, visit blockbluelight.co.uk UK and use the code Lauren10 for a 10% discount. That's blockbluelight.co.uk and use the code Lauren10. Thank you so much to Block Blue Light. I've got so many questions. Um, this Delta variant, all the new variants, in my mind, and obviously I'm not a scientist, I would like to think of myself as a critical thinker and someone who does a lot of research, but in my layperson's mind, if new variants are coming out all the time, it's because viruses mutate. But it also, like, how can we convince, how, how have we managed to convince people that this injection works if then a new variant comes out and they're not protected from this new variant and there's going to be continuous new variants? Right. Again, it's never been about a virus. But as long as people think it is, you can lie about anything to them. You know how long it takes for viruses to mutate? Long time. This is not, this is just misinformation upon misinformation. Like, Lauren, if I said to you, real viruses don't get people sick this way, you wouldn't believe me. Because you've been trained for decades to think that viruses are deadly. But if I showed you the basic science in the textbooks that viruses inhabit the body in the numbers close to 400 trillion, it would shock you as it shocks most people. And that viruses can't get you sick like this. Ah, so what can? That's the problem. Is so when, when this first came out in March of 2020, um, I, remember, I remember seeing that this was really a blood disorder and that people weren't getting sick from respiratory disease. They were getting sick from blood disease. The high, uh, oxygen levels were really low. They were developing clotting. They were developing neurological symptoms. They were developing blood pressure problems. Um, I remember when I was a resident in, in, in 1987 to 90, 
and even in medical school from 83 to 87, I remember sitting around the table in morning rounds and we'd present new cases that came in the night before. And we would do something called a differential diagnosis. We would talk about the history. We would talk about the symptoms. We would talk about whatever labs or tests were done. And then we'd roll up our sleeves and say, okay, what are the five, 10, three different disease states that this could be from? Like what, what, what could be contributing to it? So we'd ask an infectious disease specialist. We'd ask a pulmonologist. We'd ask a cardiologist. We'd ask a nephrologist. We'd ask a dermatologist. We'd ask an infection. We'd ask everyone who was at the table, what disease would cause these symptoms? That's what's called a differential diagnosis. So when you have a blood disorder like this, where it's not a respiratory illness, you have to do a differential diagnosis. And we never did it. So we never looked at poisons that could do this to the blood. We never looked at airborne materials, foodborne materials, skinborne materials. We never looked at the potential of electromagnetic pulsing or radiation. We never looked at any of it. Because in there, in that list that I just went through, you could find things in nature, whether healthy for you or not, that could lead to these symptoms. And then you have to prove it. You have to do measurements. You have to isolate the poisons in the blood and the urine. You have to test for, you know, assays. You have to do assays to actually understand what could be contributing to these symptoms. The basic problem is that because there are about 400 trillion viruses circulating in the body at any given time, when you do a nasal swab or a, or a wash of the airway, if somebody's on a ventilator and you can go in there and take fluid out, you can never know if a virus that you isolate is coming from their bodies or something they inhaled from outside. Never. And that's a problem because now we're being told that viruses only come from the outside. There's nothing already manufactured on the body and the inside. And that's not true. So how do you start to incorporate scientific truths into the mainstream when we've been buying and swallowing without a gag reflex all of this incorrect information. And you watch, Lauren, you see people walking around, well, the virus is this, and I, they don't know what they're talking about. We are manufacturing viruses all the time. We're fine. They are inside our cells. We are fine. 
They are inside the 100 trillion plus bacteria that are lining our body. We're fine. And viruses themselves are not causative agents in illness. They don't cause an illness. They actually participate in the process of an illness, but they don't necessarily cause an illness. So when all those people died at the beginning, in March and April, and around that time, what was the reason so many people died? Was it because of the measures that were taken, like the ventilators and all of that? Because now what I'm seeing is loads of people, especially, I don't know what it's like over there, but right now in London, loads of people are getting COVID or loads of people are testing positive, but also loads of people are getting sick. Um, and I mean, I uh, most people I am in close contact with are unvaccinated and don't have the vaccine. And a big handful of my friends have, have been sick all with the same sort of symptoms over the last couple of weeks I mean they're fine they've but what I'm seeing now is that like people are kind of getting sick and then you know they're getting over it within a few weeks but what we saw in March April 2020 was loads of people dying I mean I didn't know anyone personally but you know this is what we and I do know people who did know people personally so what was the reason for all of that death well first of all I can't know that because I wasn't there. And I don't know what their symptoms were at the time that they were sick. I also don't know what their treatments were at the time that they were treated. Mm -hmm. What I do know is that people who were dying of terminal cancer in hospice were now all of a sudden labeled COVID. Mm, and put on ventilators. People who were coming into emergency rooms in a car accident who, were di who died were now labeled COVID. People who had the symptoms of COVID-19 were inappropriately put on ventilators and died. Who might have recovered if they were treated appropriately with appropriate intervention. So the real numbers of people dying will never be known because at the very beginning, at least in the States, hospitals were incentivized to put on the death certificate COVID. Yeah, and I had a, and lot, hospitals, I had a friend. And hospitals were incentivized to put people on ventilators and call it COVID. So people were getting sick. There were definite symptoms of COVID, again, which we never identified the cause of. We just said, oh, they did a wash of, of somebody's airway and they isolated a virus, which they never isolated. And they said it was something outside of them, which was a Again, never fully confirmed because you can't know whether a wash of an airway that isolates a virus or that names a virus is from the body or from outside. And that's, that's a problem. I mean, I'm going to reiterate that again. We assume that only viruses come into our body from the outside or from someone who's sick, when in fact, viral genetic material is manufacturing in our body all the time. 
and always on the linings of the body because we have bacteria all over the body. So I don't know what people had when they got sick and were labeled COVID. Because we know nursing homes, hospice care, people who had terminal illnesses were inadvertently labeled COVID. So is people this who died of heart attacks labeled COVID. People have died of strokes labeled COVID. People have died of motorcycle accidents labeled COVID. People who died of cancer labeled COVID. So I don't know what the real numbers are because we were just told by the media and the media you know, was told to say that. And then the, the false narratives just took off. Are you a believer that this is very much to do with how we keep our own bodies? And this is, you know, if you're looking after your body well, then whatever you come in contact with or is in your body, like germ theory, terrain theory, all of that kind of thing. You know, you know, that's true. That That's true. I mean, making sure your body is healthy, making sure you're sleeping right, eating right, right relationships in nature, get the sun. Uh, of course, knowing that vitamin D was one of the things that uh, helped people re re um, resolve their COVID symptoms uh, was interesting because they were telling you don't go outside. So in some ways, they may have known that vitamin D was helpful, but didn't want you to get it. Um, so those are all important. But if you're being poisoned by something that you're breathing in, or you're being poisoned by a radioactive substance, or you're being poisoned by a man-made bioweapon, or you're being poisoned by electromagnetic exposure. I don't know. I mean, you could be as healthy as you want, but some of that stuff is going to potentially kill you, uh, no matter how healthy you are. And of course, I'm still advocating that we try to maintain our health, right? But, but this idea that uh, you're going to be fine just because you eat right, sleep right, have right relationships or in nature right, and have the right consciousness, you know, a poison is a poison is a poison is a poison. And you, you see what's happening to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who don't get the shot, who are exposed to those who do get the shot. Yeah. Why or is that happening? How are we explaining this? Because I'm seeing it a lot. We've seen a lot with women, you know, who haven't been vaccinated, having changes in their menstrual cycle. So we're not, it's not shedding, it's transmission, right? Right. But again, if you go back to, this is not a vaccine. This is war. This is terror. They're terrorizing. This is a man-made bioweapon. There's another agenda here. And then you understand that there's self-spreading vaccines and there's materials in these injections that have never been evaluated. And then you look at the kinds of symptoms people are getting and you wonder, okay, is this spike protein? Is this radiation? You know, people are getting magnetized. Is there some kind of other material in here. The problem is that the mainstream media and the doctors and the scientists are telling you none of that's happening. 
So even though on the ground, you're seeing all these people having real-time experiences, nobody's listening to them. Because vaccines are safe, vaccine injury is rare, and oh, people are getting sick because the unvaccinated are causing this problem. What would you say to the people who are who have got the vaccine who, you know, feel fine? Right. That's part of the vaccine injury is rare. So over the 20 plus years I've been working in this field, the most common thing I hear is, well, I got vaccinated and I'm fine. Yeah, I hear that as well. And then I'm like, you know, especially with the children. And then we're like, well, what's your definition of fine? And then I look at them and I say, how do you know? Right. So people who are evaluating those who've gotten the shot, who look fine, are actually showing signs of not being fine, but they're not aware. Of it. So evidence is showing that even in the people who are getting the shot who are fine, there are clots happening in their blood anyway. So do you think everyone who has had the vaccine is going to be affected? Like there's no, it's not like with other vaccines where you might, you know, be okay. Well, I don't know that if you have other vaccines, you might be okay is true either. But um, again, this is not a vaccine. Yes. And if you've gotten the injection, as long as you didn't get a saline, because some some people around right. the world did get okay. saline injections, if you're lucky. Um, there's a reason the World Economic Forum is forecasting massive reductions in populations in countries all over the world. Because this thing is meant to help promote a depopulation agenda. And so people who are fine are still having clots. They're still going to experience infertility. We're already seeing rises in cancer, none of which is being associated with the shot. And for those people who practice more of the healing arts, Chinese medicine, acupuncture, um, and other, other spiritual practices, they're finding that the pulses of people who have gotten the shot are very, very irregular and very, very concerning because there's a deep sense of illness inside the body at a very deep level, even to the spirit level, um, that is just sitting there. It's just sitting there. And, you know, there are people, thankfully, who after getting the shot are realizing that they made a mistake because they're actually associating their now condition with having gotten the shot. Um, and there are those who've been exposed who never got the shot who are realizing, whoa, it's not safe to touch someone who got these shots because there is something being transmitted. I mean, when you see well, you see women who've been in menopause who are bleeding after being exposed to people who got the shot. And you see little girls who aren't in puberty yet bleeding after being exposed to grandparents who got the shot. Have you seen that? Have you heard oh, sure. that? Oh, sure. No. 
And you see, you see kids, like I've seen teenagers have irregular periods, stop having their periods, get bedridden and sick, all being exposed to friends who got the shot. I've seen adults and kids develop the symptoms of COVID after touching people who've gotten the shot. I've had a mother in my practice who had a miscarriage, having been exposed to her husband, who developed the symptoms of COVID after he was exposed to a friend of his who got the shot. So there is something going downstream. And, you know, many months ago, I, I got so angry about this. And I said, anybody who touches someone who got the shot is out of their mind. And, oh, but we have to go back to life. We can't not touch people. Like, Lauren, I've gotten sick several times touching people who got the shot. And the funny thing is, my parents went to a party and they were the only unvaccinated 60 and 70 year olds. And no one wanted to go near them because they were unvaccinated. <laughs> so well, thank goodness they didn't. It's actually a blessing for them. Yeah. So, I mean, CNN did that report that claims that concerns over long-term effects were unfounded because adverse reactions would show up within two weeks. So what you're I mean, even saying that out loud obviously sounds ludicrous, but what you're saying is that things are going on in the inside that we might not be seeing right now. At what point do you think these people who... Because I've got, you know, people in my life who have had the vaccine who I can see they they do seem the same as they've always seemed. So at what point do these people start seeing changes? Or we don't know that. Well, we don't know that because there's no there are no data about the materials that are in these shots. Right. And you know that if people die four months after having gotten the shot and they're otherwise healthy, it's never going to be associated with the shot. Yeah, but we've seen that. We had had a few people that we saw locally here. Right, but that's the same with all vaccines. Again, it goes back to vaccines are safe. Don't question it. Vaccine injury is rare. Don't question it because Mm -hmm. we're right. And because you obviously work a lot, you know, with pediatric care, something that I have heard, but I have no data or statistics for it. And I don't know if it's true. So I'd love to hear your opinion on this was that we saw a a rapid decline in SIDS because less babies were being taken for their inoculations during, you know, the lockdowns. Was this something you saw? Yes. In, in a massive way? Well, let's go back to 1992 when the, in the late 60s, 70s, 80s, and early 90s, we started to see a very large increase in the dying of babies in the crypt. And it was called sudden infant death syndrome. And we know that for centuries, babies have been put into the crib on their belly because grandparents upon grandparents upon grandparents have known that babies sleep really well on their ba- on their bellies. Yeah. They digest better, they sleep better, they're more comfortable. But all of a sudden in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, we were seeing all these babies dying on in the crib and never really seen before. And so instead of the authorities saying, what's going on here? We've never really seen babies dying on their belly before. What could this be from? Mm. They decided it must be from the belly. And so they put together the back to sleep program, putting babies on their backs to sleep. And then they showed a graph how the rates of sudden infant death syndrome started to fall as soon as they did the back to sleep program. But if you look at the real data 
Lauren, the number of babies dying in the crib did not go down. I'll say that again. The total number of babies dying did not go down. In fact, infant mortality in the United States has gone up since 1992, even with the back to sleep program. But they'll show you that the number of babies dying of sudden infant death syndrome went down after 1992. So how can the number of sudden infant death syndrome babies go down while the total number of babies dying did not? And they just started calling the deaths something else other than sudden infant death syndrome. So they just relabeled it. But the number of babies dying did not go down. And the two things that they ignored when babies were in the crib were one, mattresses were now being made with flame retardants and the materials in the flame retardants were causing the babies to stop breathing because of the off-gassing of the materials. And two, more and more vaccines were starting to be put into the schedule. And more formula? And more formula. But I don't, I don't have a direct relationship to that. But those were ignored. And so we see all these experts who say, well, but the number of cases of sudden infant death syndrome went down after the back to sleep program. Yeah, your head's in a tunnel. The number of babies dying did not go down, which means that you relabeled the death as something else. And this is the problem that we have when you refuse to acknowledge that there's an association between vaccines and injury and vaccines and safety. And thankfully, I will say that more and more people who didn't know there was a problem with vaccines are now waking up. Yeah. And that is a silver lining with, at the expense of many people dying. But again, you know, consciousness often comes through pain and struggle. Does indeed. I just wish it didn't have to and that more people could be, you know, awake right now because, like I say, you know, perception is a strange thing. I just, I perceive things in one way and just look at this and go, how could you put this in your, how could you make a choice right. to put this in your body knowing how dangerous it could be, knowing that we just don't know anything that's in it and that this, you know, right, when you right. get started in the virus that, itself. But All of that information does not compute. Mm. Because yeah. again, going back to what I said earlier, it's the belief. Yeah. They would never do anything to harm us. This is just not possible. So we're going to have to do another episode on um, the childhood vaccinations because there's so much we want to cover there as well. Before I do, obviously, I just do, you know, this all about you, which is uh, just a series of quick fire questions, which is always just a little bit of fun. All right. Um, at, at the end of all this, you know, deep rabbit hole stuff. Okay. So uh, I always start with one that I ask everyone, which is fill in the blank. Um, well-being is? Consciousness. Mm, I love that. When you think of a utopic healthcare system, what does it look like in one sentence? It looks like partnership, communication, honesty, connection, listening, compassion, empathy, teamwork. Sounds pretty utopic to me. <laughs> A book that everyone should read. Life. Life. Yeah, when, when parents ask me, is there a book I should read to help 
me understand what to do for my kid, I look at the kid and I say, that's your book. Because to me, knowledge comes through experience and your willingness to, and your dare to not know, not be certain, and to figure it out. And so the book to read is life. Wow. Okay. That's a really interesting answer. One habit everyone should take up. Breathing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so true. Breathwork. Big fan of breathwork. And lastly, a question you ask yourself the most. Why am I here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And why have I been put to this work particularly? Um, okay, Dr. Pilevsky, thank you so much. Um, hopefully we'll get this second episode out where we can discuss all the childhood vaccines, but thank you for giving us so much clarity around the COVID injection and all that. So thank you once again and hope to speak to you soon. Have a good day. Thank you, Lauren. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to Recondition today. I'd be so grateful if you could subscribe and maybe even leave a review if you enjoyed this episode. And better still, if you could share with friends and family who could benefit from the content, that's what I'd really love. I just want us to share the love so that everyone can understand how to use an integrative approach to life and health. For more free resources, visit laurenvacneen.co.uk and laurenvacneencoaching.com.